Welcome back to another edition of the Cats Illustrated Podcast. It's been a little while since we've actually done this, but I'm going to be recording two podcasts in the next two hours. One with our friend David Sisk, the resident basketball recruiting expert and just a general great basketball mind, as a lot of people are seeing as he writes about Kentucky basketball games this season. Uh, I'm also going to be talking to Jeff Drummond, who's down in Florida covering the Citrus Bowl we're recording now on Monday. I'm getting my days mixed up with this infant that was just born, but Monday at, oh, around lunchtime. Uh, David, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, Orlando, Florida sounds pretty good right now. Yeah, yeah, that does sound good. That's a, that's a nice reward for the football team, well-deserved, a nice treat for Jeff, and I'm definitely jealous, pent up here in, in the rain and cold, but... Uh, we got a lot of things to talk about, David. We're going to talk about basketball recruiting because that's certainly a strong wheelhouse for you. But before we get to that, I wanted to talk about the basketball team. And things certainly look a lot different for Kentucky now as opposed to two weeks ago before the North Carolina game. I didn't think they were capable or ready at this point in the season of playing 40 minutes of consistent, like intense, high-level rivalry basketball. And they've played, like, lo and behold, 80 consecutive pretty solid minutes. It's the best stretch of the season. You have any? I know you've written about this at the site. Um, any big takeaways from what you've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks, but especially against Louisville? I think a lot of times um, the coaches probably get to panic but less than any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we it, it's one of those deals where it's crazy as it sounds. Uh, the sausage making is probably more pleasant than, than eating the breakfast. Mm. And, and what I mean by that is they're in there every day going through the process. He sees the improvements, whereas uh, we just get the main bill. Mm-hmm. And during the games, if it doesn't go um, the way we expected, and, and that was for the first, you know, up to about, like you said, two games ago, you know, it's easy to hit the panic button, and, and he probably, you know, could see the whole time, hey, we're closer than, than, than what you think. And like I said, I, I thought the Seton Hall game the first half, I could just kind of see him coming a little bit. I thought the defense was much better. Uh, you could see P.J. Washington kind of becoming the go-to guy um, in that game. And, and since then, the, you know, the defense has kept coming. And, and now, like, like I've written, um, You've got more guys than him. Um, I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but since that Seton Hall game, he, Tyler Hero, uh, uh, Keldon Johnson, and Reed Travis have all had 20-plus games scoring-wise. So there is uh, not only one guy you can go to, there's four guys that you can go to. And, uh, you know, Ashton Higgins has really come on at the point guard spot. You know, he, he just has a, a major impact on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, it, you know, this, this guy's the limit for the team. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago, you would look at him and say, we don't know if this team could get out of the first round of the tournament. And now they're at least a, a sweet 16 playing that type of ball, maybe a lead eight. And, and you know, they've, they've still got uh, – two and a half months to, to keep working and keep improving before they get um, to the NCAA tournament. You've got to remember, when you're as young as they are, you've got the talent that they have. It's all 
upside. You know, they're, they're just, they're, the window's huge, ceiling's huge, and, and they're going to continue to get better. It's interesting, for so long, there were so many just basic questions we had about this team. Like, who are their five best players? Who are going to be the five on the court at the end of the game? And it started the season looking like it was going to be Emmanuel quickly at point guard. We didn't know what the combination of big men was going to be. Tyler Hero, uh, clearly a skilled player, but his shot was not falling, and people were dwelling on his defense. And I think without question now... It looks like the lineup that Calipari is most comfortable with is Ashton Hagens, Tyler Hero, Keldon Johnson, P.J. Washington, and Reed Travis. And I think you can kind of see he wants to get E.J. Montgomery going. He's not going to give up on him at this point in the year, and you can see why. Like, he's easy to dream on. The lob is back. You can throw it up to him. He'll go get a basket. He has some natural rebounding instincts. I think Nick Richards is probably still on the outside looking in. He's maybe trying to work Jamal Baker into the lineup, into the rotation because of the need for another shooter, and he's certainly shown some, some potential there. But we're starting to get some answers. The one that's just perplexing to me is just is Ashton Hagens. And I think we knew before the season that he was someone who maybe the, the one or two players on the team that had the, the most potential to improve dramatically over the course of the season because he was so young. He was at Kentucky earlier than expected. Um, and because he's just a dog and he's just an athlete. And I just didn't see the the switch going on just overnight for him. Like, it just seems like his confidence is just through the roof. And it really started at the beginning of the North Carolina game, how he forced the tempo offensively. And I think you have to go back to Anthony Davis. Honestly, Anthony Davis to to single out a Kentucky player that has made such an impact on games like this defensively like I, I and it's only two games but it feels like that's here to stay that's going to translate carry over from game to game what have you seen from Ashton Hagens and and the improvement that he's shown let's go back to when they had all three players yeah and uh that's when Claude was still there so you've got Claude quickly and Hagens and you're you're really trying to I mean went back in the Bahamas so you're trying to dissect, okay, which one of these three guys is going to be? Who's number one, who's number two, who's number three? Who, who brings what? And, you know, from early on, you could tell Hagen's head was so quick. Mm-hmm. And, and so you get in into the season, you start playing games, and it was noticeable right off the bat that Hagen's was the best defender of the three. Uh, and I think that really the thing that hurt Kawade more than anything, uh, he was kind of more of a two. Uh, and he, he, he moved over to the shooting ball just a little bit where I could, but he, was, he didn't have the size. And but, but I really think the big thing, and I believe Calipari's big on this, if you have a defensive breakdown, and he can't trust you on the defensive end, he's not going to play you. And I think Kwade was by far had the, the, the biggest troubles on the defensive end. Right. And Hagens was the best. Then Quickly was somewhere in the middle. And now you've got Quickly and Hagens. When Quickly's in the game, you can just see a difference defensively between he and Hagens. And now let's go to the offensive end. You know, Hagens is not, obviously, if there was one thing about his game that you wish was better, you would, would hope that, that he could shoot the ball a little bit better. But 
with this cast around him that can score, you he doesn't have to to be able to shoot the ball. I mean, it, that, that's not a necessity. Uh, he can, he's so quick, he can get to him, he can push the ball on transition. So you've got all these guys, scores around him, and he just sets the pace offensively. And, and you have a good defensive team, and he can transition it quickly from defense to offense and get everybody involved, going to full court. So, you know, he's a perfect mix for number one, play, but I think just sets the table up perfectly for the talent around him. Um, and you could also look at the other players. Let's go like to, to EJ Montgomery. I'm, I'm just kind of, hate to, to kind of pick on the kid right now. I, I'm like you. I think somewhere along the line, I think it's going to turn on. Uh, I like offensively. One other thing I like about what you did, uh, uh, bring up, I think he can stretch the floor. Mm. I've watched him early. I think he could shoot that little, I think he shoot that jumper out to about 18 feet. I think up at the high post where teams back it in, that he could stretch that. But I think also, um, when I watch, I watch him Saturday. It comes in, it gives up an offensive rebound the first trip. Uh, they had a uh, they being uh, Louisville. You know, there was one play there when he really tried to help on the back screen, and the ball was up top. They duck him in uh, and get good position, and he doesn't understand the defensive end yet. The way Travis and PJ Washington and Nick Richards understand it, but they're more experienced. But you, you kind of hope that, you know, that light comes on board somewhere to say it. Yeah. It's still some unanswered questions, but they're definitely putting it together. And I am just excited that this was like the last – we're getting into the stretch where there, there's no more one game in in one week situations. They've got Alabama on uh, on this coming Saturday, they've got uh, Texas A&M the following Tuesday, and then they've got Vanderbilt the Saturday after that. So they're going to get knee-deep in SEC action. And it seems like, I mean, I-, I thought Tennessee and Auburn were clearly the two best teams in the SEC for most of the non-conference schedule. I probably would have given Kentucky the third spot just because you had to figure they were going to start to get some things figured out. But I think going into SEC play now – Kentucky uh, is probably in a place where they could make it a lot more interesting. You still got kind of a logjam of teams, maybe after Tennessee uh, up at the top. But uh, where where would you put Kentucky in the SEC pecking order right now? Do you think that, that this is a team that can legitimately contend with Tennessee for the for the conference regular season title, or, or how do you feel about them? I think it's a three team race. I'm already trying to put that in my head. Uh, who the how they would match up with Auburn and Tennessee, just kind of watching them play. Of course, Tennessee is so strong inside. Yeah. It's just like they've got guys who just kept out in the weight room. Right. And, but, but Kentucky's got that too. Kentucky's got a different, a little different look than they normally do because they're not all freshmen inside who, who are still bodies have yet to develop. Uh, and you know, that's, I guess that's another thing there where, you look at EJ, he doesn't have the body yet of a PJ Washington or a Reed Travis. And uh, but they can they can throw muscle at you inside and really that's their kind of call card. So it's gonna be fun to watch Reed and 
and, and PJ banged bodies inside with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. And when you compare it against Auburn, you know, I, I'm kind of wondering, hey, can Auburn uh, see inside and cut out for that type of play? And then you've got us who can really get out front and pressure the ball. So uh, the one thing I like about this Kentucky team, I think they've proven, and the North Carolina game, they got out and played a fast up and down pace. I watched part of that again last night. Man, it was just up and down. And, and, and you almost had to have a breathing machine to be able to play that game. Yeah. Whereas uh, you go to Louisville, they're playing half court. So they've proven they can play either style. I I love the Kentucky-North Carolina game every season because those teams, everybody talks about Carolina and Duke and Kentucky and Louisville, but North Carolina and Kentucky, every time they play, they just bring out the best in each other because neither team is going to change what they do. They're just going to – Roy Williams not going to slow down. John Calipari's team is, is perfectly happy playing that kind of tempo as well, and they rise to the occasion. I'm with you. I thought the fact that they won two two very different games is, is promising. And I guess we can start talking about building that resume now because before the North Carolina win, they lost. They had lost both of their games away from Rupp Arena. That didn't look good to the committee down the road. They didn't have a signature win. And now they they got a win over North Carolina, who's still number seven, according to Ken Palm. Uh, Louisville's 42, but that's a road win. That's a quality road win. Probably qualifies, I guess, what the tournament committee would call a quadrant one win, another one. Kentucky has games remaining against Kansas, Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State, Florida. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, there's, there's more opportunities to bolster the resume after December than Kentucky usually has. And so and I think I wonder, yeah. you may know better than me, but I think a lot of times we look at resumes, strength schedules, and all that when we start to see, you know, the lower at large teams or teams that are over the bubble. I, I mean, do, do you really think we, they look at them as much when they try to decide if a team's a two or a three or is it more of an eye test? Because, I mean, I look at Kentucky now and I definitely think this team's top 10 team. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. I mean, there would have to be some real regression for them. I I think it's – I can say confidently that it looks like they have turned a corner. That's not to say – I think Calipari teams generally hit a couple of downswings at certain points in the season, so I wouldn't be surprised if they run into some struggles later on, but they're definitely playing like a top-10 team right now. And, you know, I, I would guess they're on track to probably be a two right now. Um, that's just my guess. I think, um, if they beat Kansas, then they could get back in the conversation for the one, or if they fare really well against Tennessee, then they could certainly be back in the conversation for a one, but that's, that's a ways down the road. I did want to touch on some basketball recruiting while I got you, David. And, um, obviously one of the big news items last, uh, last week, Anthony Edwards reclassified phenom. I think rivals has number three player in the class shooting guard. As a top five out, there's no Duke, but there is Florida State. And I think you and uh, Dan McDonald, Russ Wood, and Corey Evans have logged picks for the Seminoles with Anthony Edwards. It's Kentucky, Florida State, Georgia, North Carolina, and Kansas. Eric Bossy basically said, you never count Kentucky out. 
and certainly the way that this list has fallen, it, it can't be interpreted as a bad thing for Kentucky, but it doesn't seem like people are swerving from that Florida State pick, yourself included. Is that is that accurate? Well, let me say this. Florida State uh, was a heavy favorite uh, even when he was 2020. Uh, if you read when he comments on teams – not only does he mention Leonard Hamilton, he mentions assistance for Florida State. And for whatever reason, they have just really, really built a top bot uh, that teams will have to overcome. One thing that's interesting in the winter uh, for team, for players rather who uh, go late, it's almost like the recruiting process opens up again. I think that's the case of you know, Matthew Hurd. Uh, particularly uh, Jake McDaniels, is they go when the season starts in November all the way maybe through March. Uh, coaches coming to watch them play high school. Uh, they go through their season. They're really kind of removed from the recruiting process. And I think it kind of opens up. So um, it's, it's interesting with him because I'm just curious – if this changes the whole process of him, like I said, I, I, I did project Florida State like a lot of people have and just things that I've heard behind the scenes of how close he is with that coaching staff, and that's what I base mine on. But now you go through all winter, that was before guys like or, uh, Kentucky and Kansas and North Carolina got involved. And I, I guess you look at a Florida State and Georgia who, who been considered one and two and say, well, this is not a blue blood recruitment, but in a way it is. So, you know, Kentucky gets to put their pitch on for the next couple of months because he's probably not going to do anything. I wouldn't think till, you know, probably March at least, you know, he's talking about uh, taking official visits uh, in January. Um, and I think uh, Kentucky, I, I, I will say this for Kentucky, people ask, well, what can you say about Kentucky and Edwards? I do think they'll get an official visit and, you know, they get the, uh, you know, a chance to put that best foot forward. And I think uh, what they would like to do is to have it for the Kansas game. So you get to see a Kentucky-Kansas game and Rupp, and, you know, Kentucky wins that game and everything goes perfectly. You know, who, who knows what kind of influence that could have. I wanted to ask about Matthew Hurt. Um, obviously, he's had, he's had the Kentucky visit. Um, you know, where where do things stand with him? You've really been on top of Matthew Hurt's recruitment right from when you joined us on the site. What what do you know about his situation and maybe where Kentucky stands there? Um, I I think it's just like the the deal that I talked about with Edwards, and, and like I said, the guy who I was really probably contending that more more than anybody was Matthew Hurt was that. The process of waiting till the spring, and he really didn't address recruitment at all going into early signing. Uh, that was had, had was no issue with him. They never brought it up. They didn't take any visits. They didn't talk about visits. As soon as the late period was over, you know, then they really got involved. Uh, and it's like I said, two months uh, here. Calipari was in uh, uh, Minneapolis. Uh, Two weeks ago, and uh, I saw where Mike Miller and Bill Self were in the scene last week. He played three games. Interestingly enough, uh, 
Dante Allen went over to 3,000 point mark two weeks ago, and Matthew Hurt went over yesterday, or, or uh, uh, Friday, rather, I'm sorry, uh, went over last week. But they get the chance, all these coaches get to come out, kind of start over, and, and you know, really look, take a look at him and open up the recruitment with him again. So, you know, like I said, who knows how that impacts I, I just don't get the feel, I don't think other people do, the Kansas is the prohibitive favorite. We thought they might be in the summer. And you never know what an impact this, this FBI uh, investigation has. And I'll tell you something. I don't want to mention a name, uh, but I've never mentioned this before. But there was a player that Kentucky was in on they didn't get, but they were in on in the 2019 group. And his AAU coach told me that Kentucky, or that Kansas rather, would have had a great shot for him, but they were scared off by the NCAA investigation. Mm. And and I know this. I've talked to Shea over to Kansas side, and they he's kind of sung the blues about something there. And it's kind of like, man, we, we can't catch a break in recruiting. Kind of sounds like uh, Kentucky people uh, whenever trying to get post players in November, like a Kentucky fan. So you know they're not. They're, they're, I think they're kind of at an impasse here where they're just kind of curious what's going to happen and, and who knows what impact the FBI investigation could have in this one. And I, I'll say this, if he doesn't go to, to Kansas, and like I said, I don't even know if I would, I, I really don't know where that stands, just as uh, if Kansas is the leader now, but as I said, I don't, I, I, I just don't think they're, they're, they're you know, easily the, the favorite now for him, and if he doesn't go to Kansas, I think Kentucky's got to do as sure as anybody. Well, yeah, well, that would certainly change a lot of people's outlook for next year's class, but I think you were way out in front on this Kentucky basketball team. I think I was kind of scoffing a little bit, respectfully, just like, I'm just like, we'll just wait and see when you said before the season that there might be some guys returning to this team, and I was just thinking... You know, I, these guys just tend to leave. I mean, they, they might stay for a second year. They tend not to stay for a third. And with guys trending in the right direction, it'll be interesting to see what kind of advice they listen to after the season. But it does look like they could be returning more players than it initially seemed. That's interesting. They, Matt, go ahead. I'm sorry. They could. And I know it's not tradition. It's what happened with Calabari. Um, they definitely could look at, at Nick Richards and EJ uh, Montgomery returning. Um, but quickly, I, yeah. You know, I thought about this over the weekend. I thought really it was a PJ Washington, Kelvin Johnson situation, and then everybody else, you know, had a good chance to come. Back. I, if if you don't have a situation where. Um, Gosh, I'm, I'm totally gone to like Tyler Hero. I'm sorry, Tyler Hero uh, might be more, uh, might more have it more if they draft stock now than he's had in the past. I kind of think of Dante DiVincenzo, you know, a Villanova last year. And, and his game is very similar to Tyler Hero's. That's a guy that I, he really was. A, on the NBA draft boards to the NCAA tournament last year. 
And then he really blew it. And I, I see Tyler's, you know, could shoot the ball. He could get to him. I call him Energizer Bird. He never gets tired. And I watch him play, and I'm thinking, you know, this guy may have a shot to go to the NBA after his freshman year. We, we didn't think so a month ago. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it I mean, I think we do know they have guards coming in, so I think it might be more important that they have, that the post players stay, and I think they could have two come back. Yeah, the post the post is what everybody's gonna be watching. The thing about Hero, he's he's big for a guard. He is quicker than people thought, or a lot of people probably assumed. He can score at every level, and he picked. I think when he picked Kentucky, it was pretty well understood that he or those in his camp, those in his orbit thought or wanted him to have the one-and-done potential. I think that that was kind of part of the deal. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Matthew Hurt just briefly scored his 3,000th point last week. He's one of just, I think, 10 players in Minnesota. Uh, basketball history scored 3,000 points, so congratulations to him. And like you were saying about Kansas, they're definitely in the crosshairs, a lot of that NCAA stuff going on. Were you going to add something, David? I was just going to say one thing about Tyler. You know, in the Kentucky comparison was Jim Shepard. I think he's a lot better than Jim Shepard. Yeah. Well, it took Shepard a while to really get cranked up. And then when he, you know, that that run to the 1998 NCAA championship was, he was playing at an extremely high level. Um, I, I just don't think he's got the, I don't think that Shepard had the all-around offensive tools that Tyler has. You know, like I said, he's going to shoot the three better. He can do that, but his mid-range game is just—he may have the best mid-range game in the country. I'm with you. You know, and and the yeah, the scary yeah, thing is it's just automatic. And the scary thing is, for a lot of the season, it just wasn't falling. But you could tell it was right there. Like you could tell he could get it anytime he wants, and it just wasn't going down. And it was just inevitable when it started to go down. And now it's like the rims are just being kinder to him. And I think. You see the evolution, the maturation of his game. I think against North Carolina, maybe it was North Carolina, he missed a couple of mid-range jumpers, and then he instinctively faked the jumper and went to a lob and just got an alley-oop slam. I mean, he's just well, he's so so mature, moving without the basketball, does things like a senior already, and his, his curve for improvement is going to be impressive. I DVR all the games, and I went back and watched the Louisville game again. Saturday night, and and on his shot, it's getting better. I'm talking about his outside for the point shot, and I, I went down and watched him shoot the ball, and I think he he covers the ball up with his left hand on a three point shot too much on top of the ball. What I mean by that, if you uh, really good shooter shoot the three pointer, and the right handed. They use their left hand as a guide hand. Yeah. It's not a two-handed shot. Their left hand, their palm never touches the ball. They never, their palm never touches it. And in a lot of cases, if you watch Steph Curry and you watch, like, still photos of him shooting the ball, you can see air or, or whatever's between his left hand and the ball. And so it, it's a pure... Get the pure backspin. It's a right-handed shot, and 
I watch him sometimes. He gets his left hand on top of the ball, and it flattens out the rotation. And I think he's had some of that. I, I think he's, he's. I'm sure he's working on on getting that left hand into a better position. But that that's something that if you'll change that, it's, it's not a it's not a big issue. So I'm sure that's something that they're working on. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. I wanted to touch really briefly on, Kentucky, on a couple of Kentucky commitments. Tyrese Maxey played three games at Marshall County in Kentucky. Calipari was able to watch him. I think he averaged something like 22, 23 points uh, a game over those three. So Maxey, you know, putting up the kind of numbers you would expect him to put up. But really, Dante Allen is, you know, the numbers that he had been putting up early in the season have been turning a lot of heads. They've been the talk of social media. A lot of Kentucky fans, you know, maybe not viewed as like the same kind of top, top tier athlete as some of the other guys that Kentucky has brought on board in recent years. But nobody doubts this guy's scoring prowess. Do you have any any thoughts on Dante Allen and kind of what he's done so far this year? I'll say this. I think the, the similarities between Dante Allen and Tyrese Maxey, and we see this. Uh, I know his coach has said this. Um, it says a lot for him that he is loyal to uh, basically his local programs. You know, he said this. He could have gone easily to a prep school. Anybody in the country would have wanted him. He stayed at Pendleton County. You know, he played with Matt's Mustangs, who did not have a contract. He could have maybe went EYBL or Gauntlet or, or whatever very easily. But he stayed loyal. And that tells you the kind of kid he is. But Tyrese Maxey also was South Garland. And a lot of times you may look at them and um, you see they may not win a game or something like that. There is so much pressure on the teams that they play for that they're going to get triple team, quadruple team. I think uh, Matthew Hurt falls into the same boat playing with John Marshall up in Rochester, Minnesota. These are not the basketball factories that they play with. They're their local schools. And when they get into uh, a lot of these Christmas tournaments and, and things like that, they're playing against a lot of powerhouse teams. And uh, they're overmatched at times. So... You have a situation where a Tyrese or a Dante or a Matthew Hurt are playing against teams that have, you know, a whole starting lineup of high major basketball players. And not only big numbers, you're doing guys that can't walk. I mean, you're doing it against really good players. I saw it when he played at Brentwood Academy. You know, they showcased him, and he went to some of these tournaments, and they were just team-wise were overmatched. And but but you know he did so much to carry this team. I mean, you look at Dante. The first game he goes out without the injury, they get beat by about fifty, and, and that's where you can really see the impact that he has on the game. Good stuff, David. We're going to cut this podcast short so we can let you go and we can get on to some citrus bowl coverage but i really appreciate it man fantastic stuff as always you have a great day okay all right thanks man thanks a lot it was david sisk of catsillustrated.com does such a fantastic job for us if you're not reading his game breakdowns there's a lot of positive feedback and reviews at the house of blue after that work i mean he he talks basketball in a way that i wish i could talk basketball and that's why he's with us so please continue to read him we're gonna have ongoing coverage of Kentucky basketball throughout the season. I'm going to be posting some analytic review pieces 
on where Kentucky's at at this point uh, through non-conference schedule, um, the regular portion of the non-conference schedule, and after the Louisville game. And David is probably going to be having a mailbag or something like that in the very near future. So once again, thank you for listening and hope you guys have a wonderful New Year's and celebration into the new year. A great 2019 in the immediate future. Please be safe tonight. If you plan on drinking, please do not get behind the wheel of a car. Be safe. Uh, Don't jeopardize yourself or anybody else. But I really do hope that you have a great celebration to end 2018. Thank you for being with us at Cats Illustrated Always. I'm Justin Rowling again. Have a great one.